you do very short prayers. I never have enough time to get up here, but that's okay. I'm watching you. <laughs> God's got a clock on that, and he's like, hmm. <laughs> Funny we should be talking about prayer. Uh, 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 good morning, everybody. Did you know that there is a website um, called uh, uh, Hydraulic Press Channel? It's not a website. It's a YouTube channel, Hydraulic Press Channel. It's, it's an amazing thing. I was going to show a video clip, but it's complex, and I didn't want to mess with it. But if you go there and look at it, what they do is they basically just take items, all kinds of different things. And they put it on a hydraulic press and they smash it and it, you know, squishes down or distorts or squeezes out and it's everything. They'll do like, you know, raw metal or bowling balls or bags of Skittles, just anything that you can imagine. So watching that, it's a weird thing. It's, it's hypnotic. Like in research for this, I'm taking a look at it and I couldn't turn away. I just kept watching one after another because it's just fascinating to see. I'm not sure exactly what the appeal is. They get a lot of views. I mean, per each video, everyone knows the feeling of being under pressure, right? I mean, that's just the way this world is. That's just how things are in this kind of broken place. Every one of us knows what it's like to feel squeezed and pressed in by the circumstances of life, like we're being crushed. Maybe, you know, maybe that's the appeal uh, of this and it's such a sense of catharsis that comes from watching something else get crushed besides us. <laughs> our country, our county, really, uh, has been through a lot over the last several years. We all know that. We've all felt the pressure uh, of it. Uh, Storms and pandemics and political upheavals, not to mention just the day-to-day issues that we deal with as human beings, with our, our health or our finances or our relationships, on and on, all the various things that we we tend to go through. Lifeway Research, which is a faith-based organization that kind of charts these things and does research on various things going on within the culture, found that fear replaced shame as the number one emotion that people try to avoid in the last uh, four years. It was shame up until then. Now, all of a sudden, because of the pressures, because of what's happening, fear. And, and, you know, we as Christians, we're not immune uh, from life's pressures. I mean, that's the thing. Sometimes we have a tendency to think we're supposed to be. And, and here's the deal. Like, I just want to tell you, we, let's not put ourselves under a contrived pressure of thinking that as Christians, we're somehow supposed to be above all of that. Of course not. Of course we face the pressures that everyone else faces. The issue then, then is, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, what do we do? Like, what do we do with those pressures? How do we handle those pressures? I'm someone here that, you know, I'm just going to throw a quick qualifier out here. I'm someone who believes that if we are facing debilitating senses of pressure, uh, a pressurized life, I still think we should seek professional help on something like that. Christians should never be afraid uh, of that. We go to doctors to treat our physical ailments. We need to have the freedom to go to counselors at times who can give us tools to navigate through emotional issues in healthy ways. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We shouldn't be afraid of that as followers of Jesus. But overarching every practical response we may have to pressure, I believe the Bible encourages us to pray. I mean, that needs to be like number one response in our lives. And that's what we're going to be considering today as we continue our study in the Gospel of Luke. We're going through the Gospel of Luke chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're getting towards the end of it. And in our text, prayer 
takes center stage. If you've got a Bible, if you, if you want to head over to, to Luke chapter 22, uh, we're going to be reading the account of Jesus' prayer. It's a very famous account of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane, interestingly enough, is translated from the Greek to mean oil press. So it's a very fitting place for Jesus to be. Luke is not going to mention the specific location that Jesus is in, but we are aware of that from the other gospel accounts, that on the Mount of Olives, he he is in a specific place uh, called the Garden of Gethsemane. We're now at the end of Jesus' final week. We're at the night of his arrest. We're right in the shadow of the cross. Last week, we read about Jesus' final instructions to his disciples, things that he wanted to emerge in their lives as a result of their relationship with him. And, and <laughs> it, it gives me an idea. <laughs> and so we considered, we considered how that impacts us as, uh, as followers of Jesus, how that impacts our own walk with Christ. Today, we're going to leave the upper room and we're going to head back to the Mount of Olives where Jesus will wrestle with this mounting pressure of the looming suffering that he's about to to face. In this text, we're going to see prayer as a theme. And I believe we learned some very important lessons about prayer and its significance in our lives, especially in those times when life is pressing in on us, when circumstances are constraining us, when we feel that mounting sense of anxiety because of the things that life is throwing us our our way. So if you're there in Luke 22, we're going to pick up where we left off, starting with verse 39. It says, Then, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, Pray that you'll not give in to temptation. And we're going to stop there for just a moment. Jesus and his disciples, they're leaving the city, and we've read this before in this, in this gospel, that they've got basically a base camp at, at the Mount of Olives. Uh, Jerusalem is, is overflowing with, with pilgrims who've come in to celebrate the Passover. So there's no room to stay in the city. So they and probably a lot of other Galileans are out on the Mount of Olives with their camps there. And as his usual pattern, he's going back there with his disciples, but he's, Jesus is also well aware that this is going to be the night when everything closes in on him. Judas has betrayed him to the authorities. He made that known at the uh, Passover meal that they had together. And it's only a matter of time until they show up and all of the events begin to tumble into place. And so he turns his attention to his disciples and he warns them to pray so that they won't give in to temptation. Now that word temptation has a singular meaning in English. We talk about temptation. It means to be enticed by something that is desirable, but that's probably wrong or or unwise. So, you know, we're tempted. We think in terms of being tempted by the cookies that are on the counter and we want extra cookies or, or whatever. But in the Greek, it is a much more nuanced word than just wanting more cookies. It carries with it the idea of being tested by pressure. Hence our title today. It, it, it means adversity. It can even mean trouble. It, it carries with it. A person who has fallen into temptation isn't necessarily just struggling with a desire to sin, but it's dealing with these pressures, the difficulties, the adversarial conditions that the, the person is facing. Jesus knows what trouble is barreling down the road towards him. And he knows that it's his hour to suffer, not theirs. In fact, they have a function that they've got to fulfill later on as his witnesses. So he wanted to be sure that they made it through this night of adversity. 
And the way that they were going to do that, he said, was to pray, to communicate with Creator God and to ask for His help. And I mean, listen, it's almost embarrassing and I don't want to insult your intelligence, but, but the very first point is very, very simple, but one that bears repeating. We need to hear it. And that is when life presses in, don't underestimate the power of prayer. I think the reason Jesus has to instruct his disciples to do this is he knows that when we're sad or we're discouraged or in pain, it's sometimes hard to pray in those situations. We're so focused on the problem or the pain or whatever the issue is that it's hard to get our thoughts in order, to to turn them towards God. At least that's been my experience. And here's the thing. I also know full well that making statements that encourage us to pray more that I'm running the risk of making people feel more pressure all of a sudden because they, they, they can start feeling like they don't pray enough. And so, oh, here we go, another one of, of these. And listen, I'm telling you, I've been through that a lot in my own experience. I know what that's like. That's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm not trying to increase anyone's sense of pressure. I don't want to send the wrong message. But here's the thing. I wonder, I wonder sometimes if prayer becomes such a difficulty at those times because of what we make prayer out to be. And what I mean is, sometimes I think that we avoid praying because we have a flawed idea of what it is that constitutes prayer. I think years of traditional church culture has played a part in in partitioning prayer off into a section of life that we hope that we'll get around to at some point. You know, prayer is something that is this 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 almost ineffable thing that we've got to we've got to engage in and i'll get to that when i can get around or get my thoughts in order or settle down or settle in often prayer becomes some sort of spiritual production on our part as though it's about having the right solemnity in our face and the proper inflection in our voice as though prayer is putting on a really good performance for god uh you know it's it's as if god is just waiting to hear just the right words strung together in the right mix of emotion and reverence in the voice and he's like oh i like that one yeah i'll listen to that bring that one up here Uh, prayer is communicating with god like one would speak to a friend that's what prayer is yeah but rob that's still difficult for me because i mean i don't really feel like i communicate with god that much how about this how about this do you think about god during the course of a day? Does God come into your thinking somewhere along the line? Uh, you know, well, sure, yeah, Rob, but not in any sort of real spiritual way. I'm usually just wondering what a Christian should do in a situation like this or where God is when I'm hurting so badly. Right, right, cool. That's really awesome. That's prayer. And we need to realize that. We need to, to, to recognize that as part of our human experience. Our thoughts aren't just bottled up in our own mind. We belong to God. God hears us. He hears our thoughts because he listens to his children. He cares about us. He is actively listening to us, to our thoughts. Our prayers, you know, prayer is not like some valve we turn that suddenly gets, you know, a connection to heaven. It's not some incantation that we have to say that unless, you know, we start with our Father and end with in Jesus' name, amen, that it doesn't get to be God's ears. It's not HTML tags that have to be bracketed properly. We have God's ear because we're his children. If you're a parent, 
and you've got children. Well, they've got your, I can remember so many times when my kids were little, you know, anywhere I was, I'd be a crowded store somewhere or whatever. And I hear the word dad. I mean, I'm immediately turning. Wouldn't even my kids. I'm just hearing them because you're tuned to that. You're listening to your children. You're listening for your children. The reason we experience that is because it's a reflection of what creator God is like towards us, his heart towards us. Those, those thoughts we have about God during the course of the day, they're a vehicle of communication with him. That's prayer, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing. If we're casting our thoughts towards God, even just contemplating God, he's listening. He's hearing that. We have his ear. So we start with that concept. It's as simple as thinking thoughts about God. It can move and develop from there. We can allow the Holy Spirit to to refine that in our experiences. It can open up patterns of communicating with God all the time without the pressure of performance, without the pressure of there having to be some, you know, uh, pattern that has to be followed in these things. This is, it's far more relational than that. And when we say things like Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, that's the kind of stuff we're trying to communicate. That it's not about some rigid ritual that we have to perform in order to please God. It's about a relationship where we're communicating with one who loves us, with whom we're trying to learn how to love. Uh, But the main thing is is to, to let it be intentional. Be intentional about this. Let's not overlook the power and the the purpose behind prayer, even if it's simply our thoughts about God, because we'll see in this, we see it all through the biblical narrative, something important happens in the middle of that trusting communication that we have with God. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 41. He walked away. That's Jesus. Jesus walked away about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And we'll stop there. Okay, so Luke's account of this is really abbreviated compared to the other gospel accounts. Matthew records multiple repeated prayers from Jesus in this gospel. The core of it is still the same, though. Luke kind of drills it right down to that point. He's about to take the full consequence of sin onto himself in his sacrificial death. He's crying out to his father, is there some other way? If there is some other way to accomplish this, can we do that instead? But apparently there was no other way. So Jesus utters those famous words, your will be done, not mine. And what an example that he provides for us in prayer. When we consider everything that's pressing in on him, when we consider the suffering that's going to await him. And I think we learn from this, that when life presses in, let's be honest yet submissive with our prayers. Jesus in his his full humanity was honest with God the Father. He didn't want to do this, to suffer what he was about to suffer. As we read the accounts of it, we know that it's going to be tremendous suffering on his part. We can be honest about how we're feeling in the pressures of life. We can take those thoughts and anxieties and actually offer them to God as prayers. There's nothing wrong with being honest with God about these things. Again, back to our thoughts, allowing our thoughts to move towards God's and uh, towards God, <laughs> towards our Father, our Creator, through Christ, allowing even the, the thoughts of anxiety 
to be formed in to prayer. Yeah, but Rob, you know, sometimes my thoughts and anxieties aren't very spiritual or even nice about God. Sometimes I'm frustrated. Sometimes I'm mad. Great. Even better. Because that's honest. Because it's honest with God. It's real. Martin Luther once challenged his students saying, have you ever dared to be angry with God? See, if life is pressing in and we feel like our faith is falling apart, honesty is the only thing that's really going to be able to secure it. Honesty with God is never wrong. It's never wrong. In a certain light, Jesus himself, in this passage, he's arguing with the Father. Can we do this some other way? If we're afraid to be honest with God as though somehow it's going to offend him, if we've got to tiptoe around God and so we don't scare him away somehow, then I don't know what we're going to do with the Psalms that are filled with complaints and demands that God be the saving God he revealed himself to be. All through the Psalms, you'll read it. I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for God. Why, O oh Lord, you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? On and on and on it goes like that. Prayer isn't some pious, fake humility that crafts just the right inoffensive phrases as though we're making a sales pitch to God. That's not what this is about. The prayer of faith discloses the heart in all honesty, believing that God is big enough to take it, loving enough to understand it, and strong enough to work in our pain towards something good. That's what the prayer of faith is about. And it's in that kind of trust, it's in that belief that he's benevolent, that God is good, that God loves us, that we can then submit to God's will acknowledging that his path is the best one, even if it leads through the dark valley of the shadow of death. If we trust, if we believe that he's good and that he loves us, we can submit to his will because of that. We can take, we can take all of life's issues, the good and the bad, and bring them to God and believe that because he loves us, all things, the good and the bad, will then work together towards what's best for us as his children. Honest submission will only grow from a heart that believes that God loves us. And that's why that concept is so important. It's the reason why I'll hammer on it probably every Sunday for the rest of my life. I'll not have enough breath in this lifetime, to be able to utter those words as much as they need to be said, that God loves you. And if we can start from that premise that he loves us, then we can submit to what he's doing in our lives because we trust and believe. It all comes back. Everything hinges on our perception of God. It all hinges on our willingness to believe that he loves us. We take it all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve stand in front of a tree and the question that's posed, asked, is God really good? Does he really care about you? Or is he hiding something from you and keeping something back? The knowledge of the tree of good and evil, they were going to have to have that knowledge at some point, but they jumped the gun because they were fearful that God didn't really care about them like he revealed himself to do. Everything hinges on that. 
If we're going to be able to be honest and submissive to God in prayer, we've got to start there. God loves me. God loves me. More than that, he likes me. (laughs) He likes you. That's an amazing thought, really, because like I know myself, I know I, I, you know, I struggle. I'm a married man, so I struggle all the time trying to wrestle with the idea that man, God, I'm a jerk sometimes, and 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 yet there's this person in my life that seems to like me. But let's go beyond that. There's a God who created us, who likes you, who actually, you know, given the choice, hang out with this person or not, he would hang out with us. What an amazing thing that is. What an amazing realization that the God who created it all not only knows us, not only is aware of everything that's going on in our life, loves us still, loves us and likes us and wants to be with us. All right, let's keep moving on here. Verse 43 says, Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell on the ground like great drops of blood. At last, he stood up and he returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you'll not give in to temptation. And that's where we'll stop today. So this section begins and ends with Jesus encouraging his followers to pray. They didn't listen the first time, so he has to repeat it. And I I absolutely love how human and relatable the disciples are in this. When when Jesus goes back to his disciples, he doesn't he doesn't find them praying as much as he finds them snoring. Uh, and and I can understand that. I don't know if you can, but I relate to that a, a lot. You know, we look at this situation. It's been a sorrowful night for them. Remember all the different things that Jesus has been unloading on them at the last supper when he's telling them, you know, there's betrayal and and all these kinds of things are going to be scattered and it just seems like the band is breaking up and and plus they've had this big meal and a lot of cups of wine that goes with that meal. It just makes sense that they start to nod off after this. They're just, you know, it's time to pray. Okay. And their eyes are going, you know, like I mean, I hope I'm really hoping that I'm not the only one who's decided I'm going to get really serious and pray about a situation only wake up with drool all over my cheek. But Jesus repeating his warning reminds us it's never too late to start praying. We may have fallen asleep, but it's okay. Start now. We can start praying now. And why is it important? Well, we read there in verse 43 when Jesus was praying, an angel, literally a messenger from heaven, uh, from God's realm, came to strengthen him. And I think that's a reasonable assumption that that means a supernatural agent came to fortify Jesus' emotions and determination, even in the face of his suffering, even, even in what he was going to be going through. And I believe this encourages us that when life presses in, prayer can strengthen us to endure our hardships. Luke gives details here that none of the other accounts do, like the angel that's not in the other Gospels, uh, and that Jesus was under so much pressure that his sweat was coming out like drops of blood. What a a visceral kind of description of that. And we have to pause and wonder about that. Like It says like drops of blood. So, you know, does that mean, what does that mean? The only thing that I can assume that that means is that in, in color and texture, it's like blood. You wouldn't, because it wouldn't be like size or whatever, because you'd say like, like large raindrops or something if it had to do with size or mass. It has to be about its color, its, its, its vis, visual 
perception. It looks uh, like blood. Now, this is an actual thing. Uh, I, I, you know, there's doctors in the crowd, and I don't. I, but but it, it's called, and I'm going to work on this. It's called hematidrosis, and it, it's a rare condition. Uh, <laughs> it's a rare condition. It's so rare that, from what I read, the doctors aren't exactly sure what causes it. They suspect it's part of the body's fight or flight response. It can present as a symptom of some other bleeding disorder, but it can also be caused by extreme distress or fear. Leonardo da Vinci actually records the account of a soldier who was preparing and ready to go into battle before the battle started, sweating uh, blood, uh, sweating sweat mixed with, with blood. So this text then is trying to describe to us the, the great pressure that Jesus was under. I, uh, you know, I've never been so anxious or anxiety ridden that I've, I've had anything like that happen to me physically. But the pressure was so intense for Jesus. This was his experience. But it also shows us how communicating with his father provided the strength that he needed to face what was ahead, the suffering that he was asking to avoid. And I guess I find that an important thing to consider about prayer because so often we assume that our prayers haven't been answered if what we ask for hasn't happened the way we asked for it to happen. And I notice here that Jesus asked for the cup of suffering to be removed. He didn't ask for the strength to endure, but what the Father gave him was the strength to endure in response to his prayer. We were never promised, and you know, here's where I, I run the risk of stepping on toes. I apologize in advance if I am, but this is my perspective. You know, you can take it or leave it. But I don't believe we were ever promised that God would act like a celestial Santa Claus and, and make our wishes come true if we're good enough and we wish hard enough for it. In, in the crazy church that I was a part of, and uh, if you don't know what that is, I was part, my formative years as a Christian were spent in an independent charismatic church that was highly abusive. And it, it embraced a doctrine, it embraced a theology that says if we pray with enough faith, whatever it is we want, God has obligated himself to give it to us. So if we pray for healing with enough faith, we'll be healed. Or if we pray for a new car with enough faith, God has to grant it. Even if he didn't want to, he's just got to do it because that's the way the rules are. And that, I, I got to tell you, living under that for the years that I did created its own sort of pressure because if for any reason you didn't get what you were claiming by faith, which was almost always the case, at least in that church, you know, then you become the suspect as to why it didn't happen. Well, you didn't have enough faith or there's some unrepented of sin somewhere that's holding all the blessings of God back very much like the way people think in terms of the laws of reciprocity. Here's the thing. Jesus throws a monkey wrench into that theology because he asked for deliverance from suffering, but he didn't receive it. And I would assume that Jesus had faith. But Jesus qualified his prayer, saying, it's whatever your will is in this. So instead, he submits to God's will, and he's given something in answer. Not what he asked for, but something. He's given the strength to endure. Now, just qualifying here, following Jesus' example, as well as all the examples that we see throughout Scripture, you know, we shouldn't 
we, 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 we shouldn't be afraid to ask for God's intervention. Let's certainly ask. I pray for healings all the time. I pray for God's provision all the time I'm, to provide or heal or whatever the case may be. Uh, we're certainly enjoined to do that by Scripture, but all with the caveat that it depends on God's will, on, on what he's doing at the time, on things that we're just not privy to. I believe we're assured that God will answer, but that doesn't mean that it's always going to be exactly what we ask for, that God will provide something. If nothing else, the grace, the strength that we need to endure uh, what we're going through. Sometimes he does provide and intervene or heal. I've seen amazing, unexplainable things happen. So this is not meant to discourage anyone from asking God. Certainly we should ask. Jesus asked. Jesus you know, the, the fate of the human race is in the balances. And Jesus asked if there's some other way we could pull this off. So, I mean, it, it's not wrong to ask. Ask. We should always ask. But, but with, the, with the caveat in mind that I'm willing to submit to whatever your will is in this. And I will trust and believe that you'll provide me the grace and the strength that I need to, to carry on. He'll provide me the comfort in the midst of the pain, if nothing else. You know, and it could be like, what, but why, Rob? Why can't, you know, why can't God just take the pain away? I mean, if he's good, why? Why can't he, if he loves us, you said he loves us. If that's the case, why can't he just, you know, make it all happen the way we want? And I'll refer us back to the book of Job and the majority of the Psalms on that. And I'll say, honestly, I don't know for sure. But if the book of Job gives us any answers at all, it's that there is more going on than we can understand. There's more happening than, than we have access to. And someone could say, well, that's just, you know, not good enough for me, Rob. I, you know, I, I can't settle for it's just a mystery. You know, okay. But I'll tell you something else. Life has a lot of mysteries and questions that our intellect will never be able to solve. At least when our trust is in a benevolent God behind it, the mystery at least comes with hope. And for me, life would be unbearable without that hope that there's a God behind all of this that loves us, regardless of how this is playing out in the circumstances we observe. Jesus was facing unthinkable circumstances where he would suffer the worst that this ugly world could throw at him. God didn't change the plan. He didn't multiply the swords of the disciples. He didn't send an army of angels to rescue him. He sent one angel to strengthen him so that he could overcome by going through the pain of this broken world. And Jesus' prayer, I believe, was the key to that strengthening that he received. So when life is pressing in, let's look to heaven for our help. Let's not look to our own ingenuity or the people around us to make something happen. Let's look first and foremost to heaven for our help, believing that God loves us and cares about us and that we'll be provided with just what we need to make it through. And then let's be honest in our prayers, remembering that it doesn't take anything more than our thoughts directed towards God to constitute prayer. And above all, let's not underestimate the power that's behind this communication with the God who created all that we know. Let's turn our hearts to God and let's 
see what he will do and what he provides for us. Right on? All right, very cool. Will you stand with me, please? Father, just now as we're here, Lord, the temptation always is to to come out and, and give everyone a pep talk and, uh, and, and, and honestly, Lord, if we can look at this from the right perspective, it is. It is something that should encourage and challenge our hearts to, to a deeper trust in you, a trust that isn't merely hinging on our expectations of what it is that you'll provide, but a trust in your love for us that regardless of what we go through in this life, you care and that you're willing to provide what we need to stand firm in the midst of it all. And Father, that's what we want. We want to be your children. We want it to be revealed that we're your children who trust in your love for us and follow your path through whatever it takes us, believing that there's something so much better on the other side of it than we could ever imagine here and now. So, Father, I pray for every person that's here. Lord, I know that we all walk in here in all states. We walk into a gathering like this, carrying our burdens and, and struggling at times with these things. And so I pray for every person here. I, I ask you, Lord God, to, to intervene in their lives, to lighten that load and to communicate to their hearts how precious they are to you. And I pray, Father, that that you will intervene and that you will provide the, the healings and deliverances and restorations and reconciliations that we need in this life. We do also know, Lord, that you've said that hope deferred makes the heart sick, and it's not your intention to to abuse us or to play with our heads. And I know, Lord God, that there are times in which you'll intervene and help in remarkable ways. And so, Father, we just ask you to move in our midst and provide the help that we need. But behind it all, Lord, we will trust and believe that you are good and that you love us. And it's in that hope that we'll move on into eternity, into the life that you've promised us. And we pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we're singing here, let this be our prayer. Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn face toward you and give you peace. Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn Face toward you, 
our prayer for one another, Lord God, 
that you bless and go before us. Let your face shine upon us, Father. Guide us and lead us through this life. Take us on this wondrous journey, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's conclude with a prayer today. Uh, when, we're, when we're all done, if you have uh, prayer requests that you want to come and have people pray with you, we're, we'll be here. There'll be people here to pray with you. We'll see what God will do. Uh, taking all of these things into consideration that we've learned today. But let's speak this with one voice. It's a, it's a version of the Lord's Prayer, the, the prayer that he uh, taught us to pray. And it concludes with a summation of what those things are all about. So let's, let's pray this. Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do your will here like it's done in heaven. Provide for our daily needs. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. We confess you're in charge. You're our provider. Our lives are in your hands. Yes and amen. Go in peace, you children of God.